Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the bodacious Bill Carter, the daunting Doug Roz, and the gracious GM Gerrymander. Today we have Phil and myself, Ange, and we're going to skip our Get to Know a Gnome question because this whole episode is about getting to know our very own Phil Vecchione. Hello. Now we did this recently with Head Gnome John, but we've still got several older gnomes to go through, so I reached out to Phil and he agreed to be our next old gnome interview. Hi, Phil. I'm going with distinguished, distinguished gnome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm growing into my middle age gnome hood uh, quite uh, quite gracefully. Seasoned gnome? Seasoned, yes. Seasoned. Jaded and seasoned all at the same time. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your gamer origin story? How did you get into RPGs? I was 10 years old in the 80s and... My parents had gotten divorced, and my mom and I were living in her friend's house. So we were like living in the downstairs part of her friend's house because we were kind of between places to live. And my mom's friend's son, who was a few years older than I was, had a D&D group. And so like I came upstairs one day to like get a snack and saw them at the table playing D&D. And uh, I was too uncool. Like, I was too young to be cool enough to play at that table, but he decided to run stuff for me on the side. So I learned basic D&D, or actually it was like basic advanced D&D because, like, we were just using all the books and not really sorting through them very well. So uh, that's it. That was easy to do back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just, like, I had the Mulvey box set and the player's handbook, and, like, we just played out of both of those for a little while. But yeah, I played I I played basically a one-on-one game for a while and then started learning to GM myself so I could GM for my friends who were my age. So you basically smoothly went right from playing to running for your friends? Smoothly in that I really didn't like uh how this guy ran games. <laughs> he was he was the 80s killer GM. And uh, after getting killed a couple times, I got kind of annoyed. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run this for friends. Like, I, I don't want to play with him anymore. And so that's I, I kind of got pushed into being a GM. It's it's funny how even even with those killer GMs of the 80s, so many of us still got hooked. I mean, because there just wasn't anything like it. Yeah. Right? Like there was there was like play outside. There was your Atari. And then there was D&D. And then there were like board games but they were like parker brother board games right yeah like like the the field was pretty sparse like i don't know today that that kind of killer gm thing would 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 play for very long (laughs) because you'd just be like i don't know i'm gonna go on twitch and go play a game or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go grab my xbox or something but there weren't a lot of options so no no and with uh with the rise of actual play and stuff like critical role there's so many more examples of what things could be yes. for folks getting into the hobby. Yeah there was none of that. I mean that was the that was the age of where even the people who played down the street from you their game was different from your game. Mm-hmm. Like they had house rules and they had done like no one's D&D was normalized. Like everything was like homebrewed and weird and yeah, 
It was very much like it was very much little pockets and no internet to connect any of them. <laughs> so what's your what's your gnome origin story? Tell us about how sure. you got involved in the the blog back in the the beginning. Yeah, so this is probably going to sound a lot like John's. I was so I was a fan of Martin Raleigh's Treasure Tables. That was the first gaming blog that really hit for me. Uh, was was Treasure Tables, and I really liked it. And I, I very quickly became a regular commenter on Martin's articles. And at some point, had screwed up enough courage to ask Martin if I could uh, write a guest article, <laughs> which Martin was like, "Yeah, sure, go, of course." So I wrote like one guest article. I don't even remember what my guest article was about. It's probably in the archive somewhere. I, I'm, sh you know, I'm sure it is. I'm sure if you go in and look up Treasure Table and my name, like you'd find that article. But I, I wrote that article and like that was basically it. And then like one day Martin was like Treasure Table, like because Martin was blogging daily, mm -hmm. right? Like he was blogging daily for a couple of years and he burnt out like because that's exactly what happens. And one of the suggestions that privately I had made to Martin and I didn't realize other people were making the same suggestion to him <laughs> was don't do this by yourself. Like get a, you know, get a group of people, but he didn't say anything about it. Like there was nothing about it for like a long while. And then like one day I got an email and he was like, Hey, I'm thinking of starting up this website, but I'm going to do it with like a stable of authors, not just me. Would you be, you know, in for doing that? And I was like, yeah, totally. I would totally be in for doing that. And I like, had zero idea what I was doing. Like, I was like, <laughs> sure, I don't know. That sounds great. So I did. I was um, the first day Gnome Stew launched. It launched with, I think it was 10 articles. Oh, my God. Because each one of us wrote an article for day one. So yeah. that, like as soon as the site started, there would be some content. And so I wrote, oh, I wrote this article about arguments I never want to hear again in role playing. Like, you know, it's just it's my character, not me. <gasps> um, Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go find it. Like you can find that article. That article is easy to find on the website. And it was like it was like 10 arguments I never want to hear again in, in gaming. <laughs> That's awesome. So over the years, has there been a uh, I mean, I, I know your 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 con your contributions to the stew have evolved over time. But has there been a common theme or thread to the content you've brought to the blog? I think that and I don't think this will come as a surprise to people. I think that the Probably the theme that I'm most commonly known for is about prep, mm -hmm. which kind of, you know, culminated when I wrote Never Unprepared. But even today, like, I'm still fascinated by helping people prep their games because it's one of the it, it used to be. I don't know if it still is, but and I don't have any numbers to back this up, but it used to be the number one reason that GMs would drop out of GMing was that the prep of the game was like too much and like they, you know especially as as gamers started to get older and have careers and kids and stuff like that, that like this would, you know, like they would basically be like, I can't prep this game, so I can't run games. And now we're not playing games. I know. Right? Like, I, I know at the very least, it's one of the biggest boundaries that keeps new people from trying to GM because they, yep. they find that level of prep so intimidating. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, like that's like to me, that's been a thing. Like the the more that we can either simplify or or speed up people into discovering the way they need to prep a game, the better chance we have of one, keeping GMs who are GMing that as their lives are, are getting more complex, as well as getting new people in to be able to say like, you know, yes, there's some work involved, but it's not as daunting as you think it is. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's a, it's, it's a valuable topic that you have added to greatly. 
Yeah, thanks. It's um, kind of the convergence of both my love of gaming and uh, my life hacking productivity nerddom. <laughs> Let's talk about Misdirected Mark. Uh, you uh -huh. you have been doing that for several years now. Uh, let's let's talk about how you got into the podcasting part of things, since we are this gem conglomerate between uh, yeah. Gnome Stew, Encoded Designs, and Misdirected Mark Productions. Absolutely. So Misdirected Mark was going on for a little while before I got involved with it. But my first instance in Misdirected Mark is, I think, episode nine, because I had met Chris. I had So I had met Chris because Chris had found on Gnome Stew that one of the gnomes lived in Buffalo. And so he contacted Martin and Martin passed me the email and was like, if you want to talk to this guy, let me know. I'll give him your email address, whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure. Gamer in Buffalo. Absolutely. I totally want to talk to this person. So I, I, like, I, I, met I do appreciate the circumspect way that was handled rather than just immediately like saying, you know, here's his email address, email him because you never, oh, yeah, you no. never know. You never know. You never know. Martin was Martin's always been really good about that. So yeah, so I so I got the email address and I like I I checked out Misdirected Mark and listened to a couple episodes and I was like, "Oh, I, I like I like what I like what this guy's doing. Like I like what he's saying." And I met Chris and then I did an interview for Never Unprepared cuz Never Unprepared had like just come out, I think when I met Chris. So I I think it's like episode 9. I'm on the show with Chris and uh, he interviews me and then i've i went back a couple times to do interviews and like hang out with with him and mark but what really how i got onto the show was that mark uh had a kid and you can listen to the shows because eventually mark starts recording like with the kid like <laughs> like and 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 i had already had kids so i was like oh i know where this is going right like like especially that first year is like you know it's a nightmare you're not sleeping and all this stuff so i had said to chris i'm like listen I'm like, if for any reason Mark needs, you know, like a break or something, like any night or whatever, and you need like a backup, you know, you need somebody to jump in, like just, just, you know, give me a shout. And uh, eventually at some point, Mark was like, I have to stop doing the show. Like my life is, you know, with kids need like, you know, is a lot right now. And so that was it. I think it's like episode 140 something, I think is my first day on the job. Now, do we know our our... I know that that many of the older episodes were lost in the 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 great crash of 2018. Right. Do we know if any of those older ones are back up in the archives? Or I I know we only went back so far originally right. when we restored everything. Selective ones are in the archives. All of them still exist. It's just that to repost every one of them is quite a lot. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's quite a lot. So. They all still exist. The audio exists of like my first uh, times on. I don't think they go back quite that far because that was like episode 140 and we're about to record episode 370. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's, you guys have been consistently, you know, you're con yeah. you've been consistently there creating this community, providing this this gaming podcast. Yeah, and that and that's Chris. Like Chris is Chris is a machine. Like we only have I think ever taken like two breaks ever from the yeah. show. Like one time like I think one time it snowed like seven feet at Chris's house and he couldn't drive up to my place. And I think like a year or so ago, we took a break in December just for like a couple of weeks. And we just played some reruns while like we were just relaxing for the holidays. Now, now, for those folks out there who don't live in upstate New York, you may think Phil is exaggerating saying seven feet of snow snowed at Chris's house. No, 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 no. Literally. That's what hit Buffalo. Half of Buffalo was under seven feet of snow, and the other had half had a dusting. 
Right. And I had the dusting. So like Chris is like, I don't think I can make it up to your place. It's snowing like crazy, which is not uncommon because the snow line goes Mm -hmm. in between. Like it goes where like Chris and I are almost equidistant on opposite sides of the snow line. So I was like, cool, dude, like no problem. It's snowing really bad. Don't come up here. We'll, We'll, you know, we'll record another night. And then like the next day he's like, dude, I have seven feet of snow. And I was like, real seven feet or meta you know like you know metaphorically seven feet and he takes a picture and i'm like wow so i took a picture of my lawn where you could still see the grass (laughs) poking out of the top (laughs) i was like nope i'm good here like yeah that that storm uh, and that's not totally uncommon it's not common but it's not uncommon. yeah it's not unheard of in the region we we we, those of us that have lived here for more than a decade all have at least one story of snow like that Slept in my car in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you have also dived headfirst into game design. Let's talk about some of that work. That, that's also Chris's fault. Um, <laughs> Let's just blame it all on Chris. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's Chris's fault. So I had, um, when I was writing for Engine Publishing, like, I was pretty convinced. I was like, I will not become a game designer. I like writing GMing advice, and I like writing GMing advice books. But game design, like, nope, that seems like too hard, too impossible, too dot, dot, dot. And so besides recording with Chris, I was running games with Chris. And so I was running, I was running this game Underground, which is a 90s game. And uh, it was just about the same time that Fate Core was coming out. And like, we were struggling to run the game as written because the mechanics are like very 90s. And we were kind of, you know, it's kind of number crunchy and things like that. And so Chris and I were like, what if we just converted the game to fate? And and we did. We, like, we took like a weekend or something and we like the two of us got together and like quickly whipped up a set of rules that converted the game to fate. And we actually did. We successfully we successfully transferred a running campaign from one system to another and then finished it as a fate game. That's impressive. Uh, usually, usually when I've seen campaigns try and switch systems, they usually just die on the vine. Which was entirely a possibility from the second we started. But for whatever reason, like we were totally into playing Underground. We just totally weren't into playing the mechanics of Underground. So once we got it switched over, we like took off running with it. We had a great time. And uh, it was the thing that convinced me. I was like, oh, I probably could create stuff with a creative partner like Chris. And so I like half jokingly was like, oh, I've got this like old company name that I like when I used to do computer freelancing in the 90s called Encoded Designs. And and then like one night, I think it was before Thanksgiving, I bought the domain name for Encoded Designs. And I was like, <laughs> well, guess this is going to happen. So but even then, when we started, we didn't start as publishers. We were going to be designers who sold stuff to publishers. We didn't want to get into publishing at all. We see how that went. Well, slowly we started to acquire more partners. So it started with Chris, myself, and Sean Merwin. So Chris and I were going to design, develop, and Merwin was going to primarily edit. And then, you know, we would de- we would develop his stuff as well. And then uh, we got Bob. So then we went up to like two editors. Then Tim Jones joined, who's our graphic designer. And at that point, suddenly, like we could create logos and we could lay things out. And so we started like inching towards the idea of publishing like well we could just do we'll just do pdfs like because that's easier than printing books but slowly but surely we like kind of eased into that and then john arcadian joined which was the uh, rest of the art direction so where tim is our primary layout person primary graphics person john can definitely do that but john's real gift to the group is his ability to work with artists and his Mm -hmm. you know 
knowledge of artists and who to contact and stuff like that. His and networking. So, oh, he's so good. And and he just knows like, he, you know, like as soon as you give him an idea of like the kind of art you're looking for, like he come, you know, like he, like he has this real talent for finding like, oh, this is a person I think who can do the style that you want. And yeah. here's how we'll talk to them and like all that. So, yeah, once we did that, then it was like our fate was sealed. Like <laughs> we were so but what we did was we did a couple of projects not kickstarted. Like we did a couple of just projects on our own mm-hmm. that we paid for and kind of got a little more courage and then like did a whole bunch of studying about Kickstarter and finally like worked up the courage to do a Kickstarter. And so now we're about to finish our second one and gearing up for our third one for next year. So yeah, I, I got to say, as somebody who has backed Kickstarters both thoughtfully and here, take my money. Your Kickstarters have been really well organized, and I have always felt like I know exactly where things stand on the project. Uh, yeah, and I and I think in some ways I have an unfair advantage of this because by uh, trade I'm a project manager, and so part of my job every week is to communicate to all my bosses how the project is going. Mm-hmm. Right, like I have to write a project summary every week for my bosses. So I just did a fun version of that for backers. <laughs> like I did a like. It's much more conversational. I have a little fun with it. You know, I, I like to, like, I made the um, the little custom Gantt charts, like, that are kind of themed for each of the projects. And I can promise you there'll be a themed one for the next one as well. <laughs> and, and yeah, like, I mean, I just, my philosophy, I say mine, our philosophy, our philosophy for Kickstarters is that it's not pre-orders. You chose to give us money to be part of the journey. Mm-hmm. So part of, like, part of our end of that bargain is to make you feel like you're on the journey. So once a week, you know, there's a weekly update about where we are in in the process. And and if I have things I can show, like, you know, either artwork or sample pages or whatever, like I can throw those in there and show people. But I do like my goal, my goal as the front man to the Kickstarter is to give people that journey. Yeah. So, like I said, you know exactly where things stand with the project and, you know, whether you guys are a little ahead or a little behind schedule, you still Mm -hmm. know exactly where things stand and when you're when you're going to see the game in your hand. Yeah. And, you know, the other part of it that I think that we're careful about is that we we don't kickstart games that we're designing. Mm -hmm. So we kickstart games that we're publishing, which means that we've done all the writing. Right. And we're like we we're by the time the Kickstarter start starts, we're editing the text, which means that the rest of it becomes very knowable. Mm-hmm. Like how long it takes to edit, how long it takes to lay out, how long it takes to make into a book. Like those are things I can estimate. What I can't estimate is how long it takes me to write like to write the rules to a right. game. Like that's just a question mark. Like it takes me until I'm done to write the rules for a game. And that's not the journey that journey can be long and confusing. <laughs> so that's not a journey we we take you on. We take you on the the last part of the journey, which is the manuscript is written. It's going into editing now, which means the only thing that's going to happen to it is we're going to fix things. And then we're going to go make a book. And, and that's to me like the fun part. Like designing isn't, I'll be honest, designing isn't fun. Designing is grueling and it's iterative and painful. And you want to, you know, you love something and then you want to kill it. Then at some point in the project, I never want to see it again. <laughs> but publishing is very different. Publishing is very, publishing's knowable. Like that's, and knowable stuff is easy to communicate to people. Like I can give you a timeline for that. I do. I, I, I have noticed uh, having gotten to know other designers and stuff that I've, 
I've noticed that a lot of times you'll see a designer have run a Kickstarter, gotten their game out there, and they do not want to run that game at the next con they're at. They're running something else that's coming up. They might run one session of the game they just kickstarted, but they're more interested in what's coming up next. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it can be hard. It's, it's funny because I get like that until I run the game again. And then like I'm at the con and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I made this game because I actually really like it. <laughs> but I do try to make a point that at every con, I run at least one game that's not one of ours. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not a game in development or not a game that we've published, like and, and preferably something that I had no hand in whatsoever. So at last QCC, I ran uh, masks because uh, like I, you, much like you. Right. I love masks yeah. as well. And it's probably my favorite PBTA game, even even though I wrote a PBTA game. Right. So masks is probably still my favorite PBTA game. And uh, yeah, that's my treat to myself. Like my treat to myself is I do the company work. Which I still love. I love running. I love running our stuff for 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 people who've played or haven't played before. But as a treat to myself, I also run something for me. So, what's on the horizon? What can people look forward to seeing from you, both on the stew and in your design work? Let's see. On the stew, I very much write about whatever comes up from my own tables. Mm-hmm. So, I just finished my masks campaign. I'm just starting like a little interim campaign one of my players is out because they're about to have a kid baby yeah baby baby's on the way so we took that person out and so we're playing um, a little bit of playing operators and we're playing it in the john wick universe so that's my so something from that is definitely going to spill out onto the stew because it's if you follow my articles through the stew you can see all the games i've played over the years (laughs) so that's definitely happening and then come late in the year, I'll be running uh, Tales from the Flood, which yeah. is another thing we share, our love for things for the uh, Tales from the Loop. Yeah, love that game. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward because we're going to pick up our campaign and age our kids forward <laughs> and, and play them because we played a full campaign of things uh, from Tales from the Loop. We're going to actually age that world forward and play things from the Flood. That's so awesome. Things will definitely spin off of off of those things. Can your timeline work right to get them from the 80s of Tales from the Loop to the 90s of the things from the Flood? Nope, nope and I don't care. We, we, we all talked about it and we were like, nope, it's the 90s. These kids are teenagers. It doesn't matter how they got there. It's fine. <laughs> like, yep. we just want the experience. We were like, nope, the, the distance is actually a little too big. Like they would have been in their 20s, but we were like, whatever, forget it. Like that part's not important. Yeah, most of my Tales games are set in 1984, 1985. Yep which is around the time I was that age. I think I was mm-hmm. like a year or so older. And I keep thinking about things from the flood and I'm like, nope, I was in my 20s. Yep, me too. But I was like, nope, I don't care. That's that's fine. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I would imagine there'll be some more articles about starting and stopping campaigns. There'll be some setup stuff. Those are typically, the, or there'll definitely be one on advancing characters to get old, like to get older. Mm-hmm. Like those are absolutely things that are going to come out of my from my table. And then design-wise, Senda and I are working on getting um, the Kickstarter together for Turning Point, which mm-hmm. uh, we released the quick start for, but the full book is um, being written up now. And the other game that we're actively designing is called uh, the Ditch Lilies Road Tour, <laughs> which is uh, the Ditch Lilies are the greatest all-girl alt-rock uh, 90s band you've never heard of. And uh, it's about uh, four women who travel from town to town 
solving the town's problems with a combination of queer love and rock and roll. (laughs) I love that the Ditch Lily started as just this little in, you know, in joke thing you guys had going on and it's slowly been picked up by the community and you guys and just it's turned into this whole other thing. Yeah, it started as this like little improv routine that Senda and I would do to warm up on the mics before the show, but it, it it didn't strike me as a viable game until I'm it, like like many games I we design it gets started on the on the Misdirected Mark podcast and I had made a joke that it would be cool to do dogs in the vineyard except with the ditch lilies and I was like <laughs> wait that is not the dumbest idea I've ever had before <laughs> like and the more I thought about it I was like wait that might be a real game like going town to town solving problems. But like with love, with queer love and rock and roll. And I was like, yeah, no, no, that's a thing that so, yeah, that's how that's how these things get started. Like it, it, I say something, I say something ridiculous on the mics and then I stop and back up and listen to it. And I'm like, hmm, wait, I think I could do something with that. So. <laughs> so last question before we start getting out of here. Uh, are there any future cons coming up this year that people can expect to see you at? So for 2019. I will be I'll be online at Gauntlet Con. Mm-hmm. So I'll be running a few things at Gauntlet Con and then I will be at Metatopia where Senda and I are hoping we'll have I'm I'm pretty confident we'll have the Ditch Lilies in at least an alpha playable state. Like we'll be doing some playtesting of of the Ditch Lilies game at Metatopia. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. I love Metatopia, so summer camp for game designers. Except it's in November, so it's not really summer. Yeah, yeah, but it it works. Tomato, tomato, tomato. (laughs) (laughs) So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Ultimate Organized Gamer Bag. Pouches everywhere, organization beyond all imagination. And with a little determination, you too can have the most organized bag at your next convention. It will pale in comparison to Phil's, though. Well, how how have I like how have I not got involved in this? <laughs> it, I'm gonna go look these guys up. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Mystery Mark shows. Here's one to check out. She's a super geek. The any nominated actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday, where they play lots of different RPGs uh, with lots of different guests. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Where, Phil, where else can we find you on the internet? You can always find me on Twitter, at DNA Phil. That's probably the best place you can find me. Uh, how about you, Ange? Where do they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as has 13 though I will warn you, Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats. That's fair. <laughs> so, do you think we avoided the stew this week? Are you too seasoned for the stew now? Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I, I have a binding ritual that prevents me from uh, from being cooked up in the stew. So I will I will I will pass that protection along this week. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Yeah, so for 2018, I will 19. be... Jeez, it is 19, isn't it? Yeah. Wow.